0: Good evening, everybody. This is Tanner from tmanbaseballfan.com. I am recording as per usual in my neighborhood walking around. Uh, I didn't really have anything that was like kind of burning on my mind to talk about tonight. So, uh, you know, I really just kind of first started thinking about this a few seconds before I pressed record. The subject is what makes a baseball card valuable? A lot of people are going to hopefully learn a lot from this. Now, I'd imagine that a lot of you listening are going to already know this stuff, but hopefully you'll pick up a few tidbits here and there, and at the very least you'll get your brain to uh, start churning a little bit and uh, think a little more about this. Uh, But uh, so a lot of people have the misconception that uh, uh, what makes a baseball card valuable is who's on it. And uh, that's not necessarily true all the time. All the time, I get people asking me if they, uh, if I'm interested in purchasing their collection. And, you know, I always say, yeah, I'd love to uh, see what you have. Uh, what do you have? And uh, they always come back and say, oh, I've got all the stars. Nolan Ryan, Ken Griffey Jr., Mickey Mantle, Barry Bonds, Cal Ripken Jr., and uh, the list goes on. Tony Gwynn, Don Mattingly, Kirby Puckett, Roger Clemens, and uh, uh, you may know this, uh, but I'm going to say it anyways. It obviously doesn't matter. Uh, there's a massive difference between a PSA 10 1984 Fleer after Roger Clemens and a 1989 Score raw Roger Clemens. So, uh, same thing with the Griffey. Yeah, a rare '90s. Uh, Griffey—that's worth thousands of dollars—or it could be a 91 dollars all-star Griffey that's you know not even worth uh, you know a dime. So it really all depends not just on the player, uh, but the type of card. Now another thing that it depends on uh, is rarity, but not only rarity. And I fell victim to this when I first got back into the hobby. I'll give you an example. So 2006. Uh, I remember getting a, uh, a box of 2006 Upper Deck Future Stars. Uh, it was a birthday gift from my parents because I think they heard that I was possibly getting back into the hobby if I remember correctly. Uh, I don't recall exactly what all the uh, circumstances were surrounding uh, this, but nevertheless, I have this beautiful box of shiny baseball cards and it was the first box I opened and yeah, forever so uh, i open it up and i see this guy named alex rodriguez super excited about this because i think it's rodriguez that was the uh the baseball superstar but i couldn't remember i realized it's either alex rodriguez or alex gonzalez well, i found out much to my delight it was alex rodriguez Now, the thing was, was this Alex Rodriguez was colored a little differently than the others in the back. I turn around, or maybe it was on the front, I don't remember anymore. (laughs) But uh, I look, and it's serial numbered. And it's serial numbered to 99. And I almost lost it. I was so excited. Um, Surely, a superstar baseball card that's limited to just 99 that's under 100 copies has got to be worth a lot a lot of money and uh so as i found out uh very quickly unfortunately that's not the case because there are a lot of cards that were serial numbered 100 or less gotcha. now this is completely contrary of course to uh, how the baseball cards were when i grew up which was like smack dab in the heart of the uh Junk wax era where they printed millions of every single baseball card. But nevertheless, uh, I had this card of a superstar that was limited, um, even though there are other versions of that exact same card out of you know probably 75 and 50, 25 and so on and so forth. Uh, but like I said, I found out it wasn't really worth a whole lot. So we have two sides that are pulling here. Uh, we have one side that says hey look uh, if there's a uh, popular player on the card surely it's valuable and then the other side we have well if it's serial numbered uh, and perceived to be rare then it's valuable and uh, unfortunately it's not the case necessarily in either situation so a lot of times in order to make a card valuable there has to be multiple points that intersect uh, and when I say multiple points, I mean, uh, you know, any of these, for instance, the, the player choice, the set itself, the significance of the player on that specific set, uh, in that specific set, uh, the actual rarity of the card, and, uh, you know, perhaps the history of the card itself try to, if I remember, I don't have any notes here at all, I'm literally just kind of pulling this out of my brain as I'm, as I'm walking, but I'll try to remember uh, going through each one of these here. So, uh, let's say, for example, if we have a proof or a prototype or whatever you want to call it, of a blank back card that you don't see any others out there of. Like, let's say it's a 1991 FLIR blank back of Kent Herbeck. Uh, you know, look, it very well might be uh, the only one around or at least the only one that ever surfaces you might be able to put a ten dollar price tag on it on ebay and it might never sell why because it's quite possible that no twins or camp herbeck collectors out there uh, find it valuable enough or interesting enough for their collection to pay the ten dollars so you lower it to five might get somebody maybe not you might Lower it all the way down to uh, three dollars, two dollars, one dollar. You say, "Ah, oh, forget it. This is going in my in my dime box." And uh, next time I set up at a card show, it's just going to be something that some excited Twins fan sees uh, a card that they've never seen before. Uh, so uh, now, if you have, for instance, let's say a uh, you know Bobby Bonilla. The 1991 Flair Blank Back Bobby Bonilla, you put it up for $10. You put it up for $20. I don't know. It just depends. Uh, You might have a Bobby Bonilla super collector really pumped about this blank back stuff. Like super excited. And uh, so they might pull the trigger at $10 or $20. Especially if there are two Bobby Bonilla super collectors that go after the same thing. Because guys, all it takes for a certain type of card to skyrocket uh, are two cards, uh, two, two super collectors that have uh, deep wallets. And is that the term? I think it's deep pockets actually. So you know, yeah, it's, uh, but yeah uh, rewind that, erase it. Not, uh, not deep wallets, deep pockets. <laughs> so you think about it this way. We you have two guys that have a lot of money going after the same thing, uh, it's gonna be a massive difference compared to just one guy that's got a lot of money to throw around. Because when there's competition, uh, there's a lot of uh, hobby dollars that can be spent. And I will give you a, two very good examples. Um, there are two players. If you've been collecting for the last five or so years uh, heavily, and you've had your ear to the ground, you all have heard what had happened uh, in the past uh, with two players by the name of Omar Vizquel and Andres Galarraga. Omar Vizquel and Andres Galarraga, uh, two very good baseball players. Uh, are they? Uh, would they be considered superstars? Uh, not by my account. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say so. Uh, in fact, I was never really too terribly excited about either player. I mean, they were just another player to me. Uh, growing up. Um, you know, I mean, Andres Galarraga had a, had a memorable nickname, The Big Cat. He also had a near impossible uh, last name to spell. I think uh, uh, Don Resson is ready rookie, if I remember correctly, got the name wrong. <laughs> uh, Omar Vizquel, I think that he ended up, uh, you know, I don't even know. I know he was a really good player, but the uh, thing is, is, I just don't know anything about him. Uh, because he just wasn't on my radar. I think he played for the Mariners and the Indians. And uh, when he was with the Indians, if I remember correctly, I think he was uh, on the Indians during that, that stellar, magical time for Indians fans uh, you know, during the mid-90s. I think they had uh, May Ramirez and, and Albert Don't Call Me Joey Bell and all that. And uh got all kinds of other rabbit uh, trails that I can go down. Even talking about the Indians back then, and all their, you know, <laughs> gold chains that they'd wear and everything. But uh, anyway,s uh, that's my guess. Anyways, I, I think that that he was part of part of those teams back then. But anyways, nevertheless, uh, these players were not like superstars. They weren't like a Ken Griffey Jr. or Frank Thomas. They didn't rise above the teams that they played for uh, and uh, make, make headlines. Uh, You weren't going to hear about them for decades after. Uh, But guess what? Uh, Things changed dramatically when both of these players had not one, but two uh, deep pocketed, there you go, deep pocketed uh, collectors of these guys. And what happened was absolute just uh, hysterics. It was crazy. and uh, you know, the way that this was manifested was uh, watching these uh, these auctions, uh, the prices skyrocket. And eventually people started taking notice when uh, the Viscales and Galaragas started getting to these like astronomical prices. Uh, and they were beating in many times, Ken Griffey Jr. and Frank Thomas, Capricorn Jr., Derek Jeter. Uh, and uh, it, was, it was crazy to watch. And it was literally, from what I recall, just two different buyers that wanted the same card. And uh, so the value on those cards, what happened eventually is a couple of things which was really fascinating to watch. Uh, not only did you have uh, certain very low number cards uh, go up in value, uh, but you also had all kinds of other cards of theirs go up in value too because everybody else saw how much these others were going for and so all these other dealers and resellers and flippers or whatever you want to call them uh, started picking up various cards of them as well and it raised the value of all of them Uh, something else that was interesting was uh, the card companies started taking notice And when they took notice, what happened ultimately was uh, um, they started not only featuring these players that otherwise would have never been uh, featured with of the all-time greats of baseball, uh, they also started making more cards of them and including them in more of the sets. So they they knew their market. (laughs) They knew that people were going to start being interested in getting these cards. And uh, even these little anomalies, uh, like a 91 clear blank back, uh, or Galarraga, seemingly could have been uh, uh, put for whatever price that the buyer, or what the whatever price that the seller wanted to put on them. And, uh, you know, <laughs> they would have sold. And uh, I remember, uh, if I remember correctly, I believe that the, uh, uh, a five star, actually you know what? I'm gonna pause this right now because I'm actually gonna look it up before I say anything, so hang tight one sec. Okay, so I pulled up a, uh, um, a list of some of these cards, uh, these one of ones of Omar Vizquel, uh, for instance. Let me give you a, a couple examples of what they sell for nowadays. Pull the slider down. Okay, so, we have a uh, 2019 Archives Signature Series Omar Vizquel on Card Auto, one of one, that sold for $26. We have a uh, buyback one of six that sold for $25. Another one of one for $26. Bucks. Uh, we have a 2002 Heritage Auto, one of one that sold for 60 bucks. Another archives for $37. So these prices are what you'd probably expect. Uh, There's another $31 card, uh, $45. Uh, Let's see what else here, 45. So basically from 20 to 50 uh, for the most part is what these one of one Omar uh, Vizquel uh, cards sell for these days. Now, what I'm gonna do is we're gonna rewind the, the clock a little bit here uh, to uh, uh, 2015, 2016. And uh, a lot of these cards, uh, I'll give you some prices here uh, for some one of ones. Uh, $2,975. $2,500. $2,000, $2,000. $3,800. 2000 1750 2,800, 2 grand, 2,850, 3,500, 2,500, 2,500, 1,500, 3 grand, $1, 3 grand, 3,500, 2 grand, 3 grand, and uh, so on and so forth. And it got so crazy that one card, let me see if I can find it uh, to give you an example which uh, caused everybody to notice. <laughs> August 7th, 2015, a 2015. Top's tier one Omar Vizquel, uh, acclaimed gold ink one of one, sold for ten thousand two hundred dollars. Ten thousand two hundred dollars for an Omar Vizquel one of one card that may very well uh, have gone for uh, forty or fifty dollars if that uh, if it was on the market today and had that not happened because. I'd imagine there's some notoriety to that card, and uh, that when you start thinking about it, uh, because of what happened. But if there were only one big-time super collector uh, back then, that may have been a wildly different uh, situation, where uh, only uh, uh, where it would have only gone for like 40 or 50, uh, as opposed to over $10,000, which is absolutely Insanity, and i remember this one time uh which is kind of fun uh to see i remember uh writing an article around that same time had nothing to do with this scholar galaraga Um, it was on my radar but not enough to write about but i wrote an article um about the 1991 tops glowback variations and to give you an example of what those are uh if you turn your uh 1991 Topps baseball cards around and put a uh, black light on them. Uh, Some of them will glow and some won't. Uh, There's not really a massively noticeable uh, uh, difference in rarity from one or the other, but I did write about it and all the player collectors, once they heard about it, uh, wanted to uh, get one for their collection. Uh, different, different variations of their collection, myself included. I mean, shoot, I was right there in the mix. I wasn't willing to pay all kinds of money, uh, especially since I knew that I could probably uh, uh, pick them up for you know, pennies or something if I just uh, wanted to buy a, a box or a complete set or whatever and just try my luck on it. But uh, anyways, nevertheless, it was a, uh, a fun article and people got super excited. Uh, it exploded. The next day, um, eBay started getting all kinds of listings of glowback variations after my article. Uh, now, before I wrote the article, there was absolutely none out there. Nobody had any on eBay. Next day, everybody did. In fact, over the next uh, couple of weeks or something, I think there were hundreds or thousands of these auctions. There were lists on eBay, and interestingly enough, if I remember correctly, uh, the Omar Vizquel, uh sold for maybe a few hundred or something. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to pull that up in my uh, my system now and see if I can uh, look it up. I'm going to look up Viscell Glow. We'll see what comes up here. Uh, slider down okay so it looks like a, um, a couple of them sold for oh, the first one here sold for $500 and there's a couple others one sold for 300 they sold for 180 uh, so there are a few that that brought in some good money but ultimately uh The one, the first one that hit the market sold for $500. And thing was, is it wasn't really all that rare. It's just the the collectors that said, "Huh, I uh, I need this card for my collection. I don't know how rare it is," and they just went for it. And uh, they wanted to be the first ones to get it uh, instead of their competition. So if y'all didn't realize this, by the way, I can tell you firsthand. Uh, when it comes to super collecting, competition is absolutely 100% real. It's a real thing. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I find that interesting. I always remembered uh, that one glowback that wasn't really rare uh, going for all that money. Um, so, uh, you know, you can also kind of add that into the pile. Uh, you know, when you have a player, you know, as far as what makes a card uh, valuable, uh, if you have the right player, uh, on the right type of card uh, and and you also have multiple people uh, that are big spenders going for that same type of card, then uh, you got fireworks going. And uh, I've seen that a lot in the Conseco market as well. So you have a card out of 10 for example, you can have the first few that sell for decent money. Uh, but after the first two, you know two, three, four people that pay good money uh for that out of 10 card have it in their collection if you have one that goes goes at auction it might go for you know less than half or even less than a third of what the others have sold for uh you know so uh, it's because the cards that are numbered out of 10 they it's more than enough to satisfy the big spenders uh for not just can take up a lot of other players as well and i'm really kind of talking mainly about the uh the newer listings because or the newer releases because if you have a card that's numbered out of 10 from say 2000 2001 234 uh, you know it's going to be a much bigger uh, difference because not all of the big guys are going to have uh, those cards and they're not going to show up like in a new release of cards number out of 10 you might have all 10 show up within the, within the first month or two. <laughs> you know, so it's uh, it's kind of funny how, how that works. So not all serial number uh, cards are the same. Uh, so all that to say, uh, yeah, there, there's definitely a, a lot of uh, intersection that needs to happen for a certain card to bring a lot of money. Uh, I will give you probably my most uh, uh, intriguing, I guess, I uh, guess example that's always kind of perplexed me and this has to do with the t206 Wagner. so uh, just to kind of give everybody a rundown of what's going on with the t206 Wagner again is it's always been known as far as i can tell as the card to have so if anybody who's anybody uh, in the hobby uh, has one dream card that's like completely out of reach out of touch and they could have just one card they hit the lottery and they could have just one card the t206 honest wagner would be it now this is for a few reasons Uh, first of all uh the funny thing is about honest wagner is a lot of people that would just kill to have that card uh don't even know who wagner is but wagner was actually a ridiculously good baseball player in fact many people considered him at the time to be the best player in baseball on the planet he was that good he was a likable guy people really enjoyed him he was humble uh he was basically like the opposite of ty cobb (laughs) but had uh had so much of a uh you know a nice demeanor and uh he also just was you know ridiculously fantastic of a player excuse me um so uh as a matter of fact in i think it was the uh, 1909 world series if i remember correctly uh, the uh, pirates and the tigers uh, were going against each other so and and just as a reminder there's a lot of people that would think that would uh, call ty cobb is the best player in all baseball and so uh you know so this is when the best of the best uh met up with the best of the best in the 1909 world series pirates versus the tigers uh headlining honest wagner and ty cobb and uh, as the story goes uh, ty cobb uh, uh you know first of all they shook hands and were very cordial at the beginning and uh and so uh ty cobb gets on base for the first time and he yells down to second base, uh, "You better look out! I'm coming for you, Krauthead!" And uh, you know Wagner is German, and uh, so he he ends up trying to steal second, if I remember correctly. And uh, as he slides in, uh, you know Ty Cobb was notorious for uh, sliding in with spikes up and trying to hurt people. Uh, Wagner gives him a bloody lip as he's tagging him out. And uh, you know, I'm not sure if that story is true or not, but uh, that's how that's how the legend goes. And uh, ultimately, honest Wagner uh, got the best of Cobb by a long shot. Pirates won. Uh, You know, Wagner was just like he ran circles around Cobb as far as stats go. So, uh, but interestingly enough, in spite of how wonderful Hans Wagner was as a baseball player, uh, the his career is overshadowed by the greatness of this baseball card. Why? Well, there's a story. Like, how did it get to be uh, the number one card? Well, uh, as baseball cards uh, became, uh, you know, such a huge investment sensation, uh, rarity was a big thing for people uh, back in the '80s and '90s. Still is, but you know, it's obviously a different thing nowadays. Back in the 80s and 90s, they saw Hans Wagoners as, as a super rare card. And it is, there's probably 50 cards, 50 copies of it or, or so that are out there that still exist. Um, but back then, people would even mistakenly say, it's the rarest card out there. Oh no, that's not true. People would say, well, it has to be the rarest card because it's the most valuable. Uh, but that just doesn't, <laughs> that, that doesn't do it. That doesn't satisfy uh why doesn't give us the entire reason why so Hans wagner uh as it was said uh he did not agree with the tobacco companies putting his likeness on their product and thus causing uh problems or uh, uh you know being a bad influence so to speak on the kids that were his fans he didn't want them saying hey Wagner uh, partakes in uh, tobacco, so we should, too. Uh, so they pull it from the, uh, from the run. Only 50 or so survive, and this wonderful story emerges uh, of how it's so rare, and it's got a fantastic story behind it. Of course, uh, it was like four decades later, on Wagner is, uh, is featured on a 1948 Leaf baseball card chewing tobacco or something like that which by the way some people say that contradicts and debunks the whole story but um, it doesn't in the least to me it's it could be uh, it could be just a case of do do as I say not as I do uh, or he could have gotten hooked on uh, on tobacco later on in his career just don't know Uh, but so you have like this perfect storm you have like a fantastic baseball player who, by the way, nowadays people don't remember all the wonderful stories of how awesome of a player he was. But you have that. You have this wonderful story of this uh, 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 almost superhero-type player that said, "No, pull my card uh, from the uh, from the print." And uh, so, so it's it's almost it almost gave this uh, this a bit of a mystique of the card where. Like if somebody has it, it's they have something now that they shouldn't, uh, which has always been kind of exciting for any collector to have, which is why I really enjoy my uh, uh, 1988 Topps cloth test or 89 Donnerston blue chip cards that weren't supposed to get out, you know, and that are frankly uh, quite possibly way rarer than Donner's wagon. Uh, that off, uh, you know, to to add to it, uh, it's part of the the famed T206 set, which has like I think 520 baseball cards in the set. Uh, excuse me, in the set, which uh, is a pretty big deal. Um, it's got all of the players. It's got uh, Ty Cobb, Cy Young, Walter Johnson, Christy Mathewson. It's a uh, you know uh, everybody like Chief Bender, Homerun Baker, uh, Huey Jennings. John McGraw, uh, I mean, the list just goes on and on and on of uh, who's on there, Rube Waddell, and, and all of the, these players, a lot of them, anyways, Tres Speaker, Napoleon Lajue, uh a lot of these players have multiple uh, uh, types of cards in the set, and they're just all so beautiful. Like, you look at, for instance, the card uh, of the Hall of Famer, Wee Willie Keeler, you look at the background and and uh, the artwork of it, I mean, it was just top notch. And the same goes for uh, all kinds of other players there in the set. I mean, it's just chock full of Hall Famers. And interestingly enough, uh, this is kind of a, one of my uh, famous rabbit trails here, I guess, but uh, throughout the entire set, there is uh, simply one person, one player that is featured with a mustache. And that player's John Titus. <laughs> nobody else has a mustache in the set which is interesting because if you turn back the clock a few decades uh, to the time when alan ginter old judge gypsy queen goodwin all of them were uh, were trading cards uh, you would rarely see anybody without a mustache so something happened (laughs) in fashion back then uh, that said hey no more mustaches Uh, and of course as we know, mustaches came roaring back, but it didn't take. Uh, it didn't uh, happen until the mid '70s, with I think the Oakland Athletics, uh, and thanks to uh, Reggie Jackson and uh, Raleigh Fingers and all them. So, uh, but the uh, thing I found interesting about this uh, T206 story, uh, which means that there really has to be a perfect storm here, is you look at uh, you, you compare that T206 Wagner with the uh, uh, E90-2 on wider, They look very similar, as far as cards go. The portrait from Carl Horner, I think it was, uh, was used in both cards. Uh, you know, it was painted or whatever, and, uh, and they used the same type of portrait, uh, just different artwork. Uh, the E90-2 was uh, uh, distributed with candy, in caramel, actually. Uh, some post caramel candy and it's got a beautiful blue background and uh, it's the same uh, around the same time period 1910 is when it was issued uh, and so my first thought would be well why haven't I heard of this card like I didn't know this card existed until earlier this year and I remember seeing it going oh, man this this is quite positive I've never seen Looks so strikingly similar uh, to the T206 card, in many ways. And so uh, I looked at it, it's not a cheap card by any stretch of the imagination, but in my opinion, it is way cheaper than it should be. So uh, I started thinking, why is this? Well, first of all, the set itself, because I mean, it's like the first, it's the same player, Volkswagener, looks very similar. In fact, the E90 2, in my opinion, looks quite a bit better than the T206 card. Uh, so, you know, what's the deal? Why is this card not worth hundreds of thousands of dollars also? Uh, well, a couple of reasons I came up with. Because, interestingly enough also, turns out the rarity is similar. So you have the T206 and the E90-2. Both of those cards, according to the pop reports and PSA and SGC and all that, uh, they're very similar. I think nowadays the T206 has a few less than the E90-2s, um, but it's, uh, it's incredible to me uh, that there's such a disparity in value of the two, which I think that's gonna change. <laughs> I really do. I think that the E90-2 has a lot of uh, room to grow. But, so first of all, uh, you know, why the disparity? Number one, I'd say probably uh, the set. You don't have, uh, whole lot of people that know what an E90-2 set is. And uh, it's a candy uh, type of card. Same dimensions, basically, as the tobacco cards, but when you think of baseball cards, pre-war baseball cards, the the best of the best, you think of tobacco cards, not candy cards, um, which, gosh, candy cards are so cool, though. (laughs) But the thing is, is they don't have the same notoriety that these tobacco cards have and tobacco cards and uh, baseball are just uh, just anonymous. Uh, so uh, you know, not a whole lot of people know about these candy cards. Uh, the set itself, T206, it is an iconic name. It is the name that stands out above everything else. You've heard of probably the T205 Gold Borders, the T207s, the T210s, the uh, T201s, T202s, uh, all those. But the uh, T206 stands out. Uh, beautiful artwork. Uh, nice, clean, white border. Bottom It says the player's name and the team uh, and all that. So uh, it all just works so beautifully together. Uh, so you have similar rarity, but the notoriety just isn't there. Uh, you also don't have the story of Hans Wagner saying, hey, I don't want my likeness uh, associated with candy because I don't want the kids to uh, associate my name with uh, with candy and therefore giving them uh, all kinds of uh, toothaches and cavities or whatever. It just didn't happen that way. Uh, but it was a much more limited run uh, allegedly also, which probably counts for uh, number one, the fact that not many people heard of it. Number two, uh, that it's uh, such a smaller print run overall than the T206 counterparts. And the set all together, by the way, is really nice. Uh, I think there... I could be getting my candy uh, releases mixed up, but I do know that Shields Joe Jackson has his rookie um, in that, possibly that set, or maybe a 290 one I don't know, but I know Cy Young has a beautiful, striking red background card uh, for his time during uh, while he's playing for Boston uh, in an E90-1 car, there are a couple uh, E90-1 can cars like uh, Christy Matthews in there, gorgeous Ty Cobb also. I mean, just uh, just incredible stuff. So you know, definitely something to uh, to keep in mind there. But anyways, um, yeah, after all that we're talking about all this stuff, I think it's important to note just all of the different little things that could play into making a card valuable. Uh, You know, kind of as as a bit of a recap, Uh, it's likely not just one thing that's gonna make a card skyrocket. Uh, It's gonna be uh, multiple things, and probably the more the better. Uh, And, uh, you know, like you have player popularity, you have set popularity, you have rarity, you have a story, Uh, and you also have the people that are interested in the cards Uh, so that's mainly gonna uh, cause like super rare cards to skyrocket possibly so remember what we looked at with the Omar Vizquel Uh, uh, one of his cards went for ten thousand two hundred dollars and nowadays there are some that don't even come close to tracking a hundred dollars mind-blowing to me still uh, but it just goes to show you uh, what happens when uh, the perfect storm hits. So if you have any uh, thoughts on this, or anything else to add, I feel like uh, I could have a lot more to add if I just kind of sat down and wrote about all this stuff out first and uh, talked about it. But Yeah, look, the whole reason I'm doing podcasts is because I'm, I can just pick up my phone and, and uh, headphones and uh, talk away. So, <laughs> uh, but because of that, I uh, certainly welcome uh, your feedback and your information what you what your thoughts are Um, if i uh, missed anything feel free to tweet me at tanmanbbfan or email me tanmanbaseballfan gmail.com please feel free also uh, to reach out for anything else if you have any questions i am uh, happy to answer anything you you might ask me and uh, finally last but not least please don't forget to like subscribe and share this podcast thank you everybody i hope you all have a wonderful night